All right, good morning, familia. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors um, here at church. And today I have the privilege to introduce to you a friend of mine, actually a brand new friend of mine, about a month uh, old relationship. That's how close we are. Um, today we have with us Josh uh, Laxton. Josh recently moved to the Chicago area. He was pastoring for about 12 years. And now uh, Josh and his wife, Joanne, and the three children uh, just um, moved to the Chicago area because he's now working as an assistant director of the Billy Graham Center. Now, during the time that I've known Josh, I got the chance to uh, spend quite a few um, hours just talking about life and ministry. I have had the chance to hear him speak quite a few times online, and I got the chance to read some of the materials uh, that he has written. That's why uh, we decided to invite him uh, to, to bring the word of God to us today. From what I know from Josh, this are, there are two things that I know from him so far. Number one is that he loves the local church. And number two is that he loves the mission of God. That being said, could you please welcome Josh for the preaching of God's word. Hannibal, it is an honor to be here. Thank you, and thanks to Pastor Rob. I think he is in Germany for this opportunity to participate in this series, Jesus and Abraham. Uh, just so that you know, we are new to the area. Uh, we are a little nervous about, I would say, December or January and February coming up uh, because we're from the south, as you can imagine, uh, from the accent. Uh, Ed Stetzer makes fun of me all the time. He's like, bro, you just, you got to do something with that accent. I'm like, I, I've tried for years. You just cannot take the South out of the man. So anyways, but, but we, we actually came to Wheaton Bible a few months back while we were looking at the area. And uh, just so that you can see a picture of my family, here they are. We, we were leaving and I asked my children, I said, um, how'd you like it? How'd you like Wheaton Bible? And so my, my daughter's like, Dad, if we move to Wheaton, we have to go to Wheaton Bible. That's the only way that I will move to Wheaton is if we go to Wheaton Bible. I said, yes, ma'am, because we are grooming great American Christian consumers. So I was like, yeah, we, we were definitely going to go to Wheaton Bible. And so we've actually been attending for the last month. And I want you to know that we are in love with Wheaton Bible, that you have an incredible staff, you have an incredible team. Uh, we cannot wait to dive in deeper and go through the membership process. And so, uh, so if you are a first, second, third time guest, uh, you and I actually have something in common. We're, we're kind of new. And if you're looking for a church family, hey, we would love to invite you to walk through this membership journey with the Laxton family. And no, Hannibal or Pastor Rob did not pay me to say that this morning. So we're in this series, Jesus... And Abraham. Now, I, I love movies. I don't know about you, but, but I am an avid moviegoer, and I watch a lot of movies uh, in my spare time, which is very little, by the way. But, and as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about this morning, three movies came to my mind. Here, here's the first one, The Blind Side. I don't know if you've ever seen The Blind Side, but it's a, based on a true story of Michael Orr. And he grew up in a very broken home. And then you have Leanne Tui, played by Sandra Bullock. 
And the Tui family would see Michael and they started to have this kind of intuition that we need to do something for this kid. They ended up reaching out to Michael, inviting him in because they saw him on the side of the road and they kept on seeing him all of these places because I was even reading the backstory. Not only did they end up inviting Michael into their home, years later they even adopted Michael and became his legal guardian. So I want you to think about that movie and that premise. The second movie that came to my mind is Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man is by far, by far one of my my favorite movies of all time. Second to the Goonies. But other than that, it really is. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's the story of James J. Braddock. If you've seen the movie, James J. Braddock, he hurt his hand and so he couldn't really box effectively and so he ended up losing his card And then the Great Depression hits. Well, so he's struggling to make ends meet, struggling to provide for his family. But his former manager, Joe Gould, thinks of Jimmy Braddock when a boxer drops out the last second. And so he goes across town to Jimmy's house and says, Jimmy, I got you a fight. It's just one fight, but I got you one fight. And he's like, how much? He's like, win or lose, you get $250. And, and James Shade, right? He's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Thank you, Joe. He gives him a kiss. Then if you've seen the movie, you know he goes and he wins. Then Joe gets him another fight, he wins. He gets him another fight, he wins. And then he gets invited to the championship, the heavyweight championship. And there he beats Max Bear. The last movie that I think about is The Soloist. Now, I just came across this movie not too long ago. It's the story of Steve Steve Lopez who sees Mr. Ayers who is obviously homeless but he's playing a two-string violin. And since he's a columnist, he thinks, man, there must be a story here. And as he gets to know Mr. Nathaniel Ayers, he realizes that he he probably has this, this, this disorder and he starts befriending him. The next thing you know, he gets him new instruments to play. Gets him off the streets. So Josh, where where are you going with this? Because here's the main point that we're going to flesh out this morning. The future hope of humanity begins with a present heart of compassion. Now I want you to think about that. The future hope of humanity begins with a present heart of compassion. You see, the future hope of Michael or it began with a present heart of compassion from the Tui family. The future hope of Jim's Jim, Jim Braddock, it began with a it began with a present heart of compassion for Joe from Joe Gould. And then Steve Lopez he had a present heart of compassion, which was the future hope of Nathaniel Ayers. Now you may be sitting here this morning and you need some hope. And maybe your marriage isn't where you want it to be. Maybe your teenager, I have one of those now. And maybe your teenager isn't where he or she needs to be. Maybe you have a neighbor or you live in a neighborhood that needs hope. Maybe you have an employee a co-worker, maybe a boss that you work for that needs a little hope. Maybe someone who has hurt you needs a little hope. Maybe there is a group, a segment in the community that you live in that you think, man, they need hope. Maybe you are sitting here today and you need hope. 
And here's what I want us to know. Is that those who need hope, their future hope begins with a present heart of compassion. And so with that said, will you stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 18. We're going to read verses 16 through 33 together. So Abraham has just enjoyed a meal with these three men, one of them being Jesus. So when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, I've known him, I've called him out, I've entered into a covenant with him. Why? So that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Everybody say right and just. Right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he had promised. And what had he promised him? That he would have many descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. Now this is so interesting, the outcry. The outcry of what? The outcry of injustice, of oppression, of marginalization. These were societal ills. Then the cries from the people that had been oppressed, they reached to God because their sin was so grievous. That I will go down and see... What they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abram, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now then Abraham approached him as a lawyer would approach the bench and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? God, will you really sweep it away and not spare, not forgive? That's what the word spare means. Not forgive the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I mean, Abraham, he's pretty bold talking to God like that. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare. I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Can you do math, God? Just want to make sure. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45, yes, Abraham, I know how to do math. If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He's haggling God. For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? And so God, he he says that, yeah, (laughs) I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found? 
He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. Are you tired? I'm sure God is kind of wearing thin because, all right, one more. What if only 10 can be found there? And so God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy the cities. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Let's pray. Jesus, will you speak to us? Spirit, fall upon this place, upon these people. And may your word give life to our hearts. May we not only understand the text, but may we apply it and do what it says. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here is the trajectory this morning. We're going to look at what Abraham does, where he stops, and how Abraham could have gone further. So what does Abraham do? Well, number one, he, he walks with God. That, that's, that's what he does. Now, I want you to get this picture that these three men, they have come to town. Abraham runs and he tells Sarah, hey, we got three men here. We got some guests. We need to make them some food. So, so Sarah, she goes, she slaves over the hot stove. They, they bring an incredible meal to these three men. One of those men happened to be Jesus himself, a Christophany. And so as Abraham is talking to these three men, they tell Abraham and even Sarah that this time next year, you're going to have a son together. Now that's where Sarah laughs and then God says, why did you laugh? And Sarah goes, I didn't laugh. And he's like, yes, you did. You laughed. And so that's the context. And so now these three men, they're getting ready to leave. And I want you to see what the Bible says. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. I don't know if you've ever had guests in your home that you just clicked with. That you just had an incredible meal together. You had an incredible conversation together. I mean, it was just this back and forth. You're like, oh my gosh, like I don't want this night to end. And then they look at their watch and they're like, man, we've got to go. And so they get up, but you get up with them. And then they start walking out to their car and you start walking with them. And you just cannot finish the conversation. Well, that's kind of what's going on here with Abraham. He has now just had this incredible meal and fellowship time with God, with Jesus, and he doesn't want it to end. You see, when you dine with Jesus, you're going to want to walk with Jesus. When you fellowship with Jesus, you're going to want to walk with Jesus. So that's what Abraham's doing. He is walking with Jesus. But not only does he walk with God, he listens to God. He listens to God. Now, we, we read in this passage... Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, why does even God ask that? Like, should I tell Abraham? And Abraham hears. Well, of course you should tell me, God, now. Like, I heard what you said. Shall I? You should tell me. And so so basically what God's doing is that he's wanting Abraham to know, "I'm, I'm about to tell you something extremely important. And so Abraham's listening. And here's what God says to Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. Reminding him of Genesis 12, verse 3. For I have chosen him. 
so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So, so Abraham's listening, and what is God telling him? He's reminding him of who he is. He's reminding him of why he has been chosen, why God had called him out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans to send him to a place he didn't even know where he was going. So God's telling him who he is and what he is called to do. And then he says this in verse 20, Then the Lord said once again, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now I want you to think about that. So, so God is saying, hey, listen, Abraham, this is who you are. This is what you're to do. And then, in the very next breath, he tells him what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. That these are wicked cities in the plain. And that the cries of injustice they have reached the throne room and now I have to go down and see if it really is as bad as the cries suggest they are and if they are then I will destroy the city now So Abraham, he walks with God, he listens to God, but the third thing, he exercises his calling from God. Because what does Abraham do in the very next verse? Well, then the men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Uh Oh, so, so Abraham's like, all right, God has, he's told me who I am, what I'm to do. He has told me what he's about to do. I've got to do something. And... Then Abraham approached him. Now, like I said, this is like a lawyer approaching a judge. So so he's been walking with God. He's been talking with God. Now he kind of has this this different posture with God. He steps in front of God as a lawyer would step in front of the judge. And when a lawyer would step in front of the judge, who's behind the lawyer? The person he's defending. So now Abraham is going to approach God and say, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Let me at least stand in the gap between you and the righteous people of Sodom and Gomorrah. But, But then we see this, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you really sweep it away and not spare? Everybody say spare, spare. Do you know what that word means? Forgive. Will you not forgive the place? What place? Sodom and Gomorrah. The very place that you came down to see how bad their sin is. If you found 50 righteous people, would you forgive the entire city? Would you forgive the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Now, far be it from you, Abraham goes on, to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked Alike, far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Here's the principle we learn of why Abraham can exercise his calling. 
Because he's, again, he's exercising his calling. God had called Abraham out to do what? To be a blessing to the nations. And this is exactly what Abraham is doing. He is standing in the gap between God and Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reason why Abraham can stand in the gap between God and places like Sodom and Gomorrah is because merciful compassion flows from a merciful call. Merciful compassion flows from a merciful call. And if you read the account of Abraham, you'll learn in Genesis 14, he didn't have a good interaction with Sodom and Gomorrah. So how in the world is it that chapters later he could be standing in the gap for Sodom and Gomorrah? Because he realizes that he was just like Sodom and Gomorrah living in the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. You see, Abraham, he was polytheistic before God intervened in his life. You see, when we realize who we once were prior to meeting Jesus, when we remember that, we can also remember to extend compassion to others. Because We have to really understand really what compassion is in the first place, right? Compassion is the physical feeling one has deep within their bowels that when confronted with another person suffering, they got to do something about it. So compassion is this this inward, this physical pain that one would feel as they look towards and look on to another person suffering. And so Abraham... He's exercising his call because he realized that he himself had received a merciful call. Like I said earlier, I I like movies, I like shows. I'm in the process of watching uh, Arrow, which is on Netflix. So I've been watching that for the last few months when I work out. And I've, I've gotten to season seven. And Oliver Queen, he's made this transformation. He doesn't want to kill anybody anymore. So the era when he first came out, he was killing all the people on his dad's hit list. Well, so years later, he, he transforms into this, this pleasant, more merciful Green Arrow. And so as I'm watching this show, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, Oliver, all right, Mr. Green Arrow, why do you want to let people like Damian Dark live? Why do you want to let people like Diaz live? Why do you want to let people like Emiko live? All you know, you know that if you let them go or if they get into prison, they're going to get out and they're going to go and they're going to kill other people. What, what is he doing? He is exercising a merciful call. And I'm sitting there as, as this viewer going, don't do it, Oliver, don't do it, just kill him. I mean, you know, that's me. So compassionate. And why does Oliver, why does he exercise mercy? Because he realizes himself that he has received mercy. Listen, we'll never extend compassion to those who need compassion. Until we realize that we ourselves have received compassion. You see, it's hard to show compassion to people who fail you. People who think differently than you. People who are different than you. People who have broken you. But I want us to realize too that when we look at Abraham exercising his call we actually learn some things about God. 
So you can think about it this way. When we exercise our calling from God, we expose the character of God. So what do we learn about God in this passage? Well, God is open to hearing his people's perceived objections. Listen, God doesn't strike Abraham down when Abraham is as bold as he is approaching God. Like, so God wants to hear what you have to say. God cares about what you have to say. Another thing that we learn about God is a righteous presence extends divine protection. That's one of the things that we learn. Like I know that some, some, some people will read this passage and they're like, that's why I don't believe in God right there. Because he's such a judgmental God. He is a God who, of great judgment and justice and he wants to just go and kill people. That's, what, no, did, you see, did, you, did you see what was there? That God says, I will forgive a wicked people. I will forgive an immoral people. I will spare an evil city as long as there is a righteous presence third thing that we learn about God is that God's scale of grace and mercy is as great as his scale of justice and wrath like if you deal really truly with justice and you enact justice then you have to have mercy And so what we learn about God is that God is a God of justice and a God of judgment, but he is just at the same time a God of great grace and great mercy. And because Abraham exercised his calling, we learn those things about God. But next, I want us to see where Abraham stops. So as I read the passage earlier, we know that Abraham starts with 50. God, if there's 50, 50 righteous people will you spare the cities. And God's like, yeah, I will. Then he goes, what about 40, 40, 40, 40, now 30, 30, 30, now 20, 20. He's like, he's like this auctioneer. And God's like, yes. If I find 10 righteous people, yes, I will spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then the conversation just ends. And God walks away. And Abraham walks away. I, I don't know, but, but if you ever, you know, you've been texting, and as you're texting the person, you see those little bubbles. That means that they're typing back, you, you know, and so you're just waiting for, you're waiting for the bubbles to end and then the text to appear. Well, I, I, I kind of get this idea that maybe there, there's something else that's supposed to come out, and then Abraham's kind of at a loss of words, and God's like, all right, you done? I, I'm done. And then he walks out, and so there's this awkward close to this conversation so why does Abraham stop at 10 I I got some suggestions and I think some scholars have some suggestions but one suggestion that I might throw in there is that maybe Sarah texted Abraham and went where are you I got supper ready I don't know and and he's like all right I gotta go or or maybe maybe he he thinks he's gone far enough I mean he's already taken God from 50 all the way down to 10 he's like I can't chance it anymore like, I, I've gone as far as I could, and I can't go any further. Maybe Abraham thinks that if there are, are, are less than 10, it's not even fair for God to spare the city. Because in antiquity, 10 was the minimal number one could have to form a small community within a community or city. So maybe he thinks if, if there's not a small community of righteous people in the city, it's not even worth it to spare the city. Or maybe, some scholars would say, 
that he realizes that there is not even one righteous person in the plain. And since there's no righteous presence, either in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's no sense in going further. So, we don't really know why Abraham stops. We don't know what's going through his mind, nor the mind of God. But here's the question that I ask as I'm reading this passage. Did God tell him to stop? Did God tell him to stop? Did God tell Abraham, son, you're pushing it. Like, cool your jets. All right, you've gotten me down to 10. I'm not going any further. Did God tell him that? No. Did God say, Abraham, you're bothering me? No. See, God never told Abraham no. God never told Abraham to stop. So it leads me to this principle. Don't put up a red light where God has given you a green light. Don't put up a red light where God has given you a green light. You see, because God didn't tell him to stop, Abraham could have went further, and we'll we'll flesh that out in just a second. But I think... In my own life, I think of how many times we, we stop compassion when God has given us a green light for compassion. I can think about my wife. My wife's a nurse. And that's a good thing and that's a bad thing in our home. It's a good thing because nurses don't mind blood. So if one of our kids are bleeding, guess, who, guess who's going? Mama's going, not me. Mama likes blood or she can deal with blood. I don't. Projectile vomit. She does that. I don't. Nurse, she can handle it. So it's good. It's good to have a nurse as a wife and as a mom. But it's also bad to have a nurse as a wife and a mom. Why? Because she's very hard on us, particularly me. If I'm sick, you know what she does? She says, suck it up, buttercup. Go get your own water. Like growing up, now you're going to think I'm a spoiled little brat growing up, and I was. But my mom would give me a bell to ring that, 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 that if I... <laughs> If I needed something, I just ring that little bell, and my mama comes, and she, she waits on me. But when I got married over 15 years ago, I tried that. Uh, it just didn't end well. And, and so, uh, but she's just not very compassionate when, when I'm sick. So, so I wanted to tell her as I'm studying this passage, hey, listen, do not give a red light where God has given you a green light. Show me a little compassion. See, but there are times where we do that. Because why is it that we have a tendency to put up red lights? Because we'll, we'll think to ourselves, they don't deserve it. We'll think, well, they're getting what they deserve. Maybe we think that if we show compassion to this person, we're condoning their behavior. Maybe we think to ourselves that if we show them compassion, there's no sense they won't change. If we show compassion then they'll think that what they're doing is okay. Or maybe we'll think, well, man, I've done all I can do. I just can't do anymore. Well, how does that play out in our life, Josh? Well, maybe it plays out a few ways. Man, I've been praying for them for years and nothing's happened. It's just not making a difference. I think I'm just going to stop. Well, I've tried to share the gospel with them once, Josh, and, and they didn't seem too open about it. And so, you know what, I'm not going to try again. 
well, I've been meeting and trying to disciple them for months, and, and they show up, but they don't do any of the homework. They're just not invested. I'm going to give up on them. Lord, I, I went last year on a mission trip. You want me to go there again and spend the $1,800, the $2,500 again? Well, Lord, I know we've been fostering children, but teenagers, really? Like, do you know anything about teenagers, God? They cost a lot of money, they talk back to you, they're hormonal. God, I just don't think I can do it. See, we put up red lights where God has given us green lights. But how, how Abraham could have gone farther? How, how could he have even went further into this dialogue with God? There are at least four reasons why I think he could have went further. Let me give you those four really quick. In Genesis 19... God, he has sent the two kind of angels down there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but they go to Lot's house. Remember Lot? Lot's connected to Abraham. He's of the family of Abraham. And these two men, they go and tell Lot, hey, God's getting ready to destroy the city. You need to get out, and you need to flee the mountains. And so Lot goes, okay, well, uh, sounds great, but I can't get to the mountains because I don't have any running shoes, but I can get to Zoar. Uh, I can get there. I, I can't get to the mountains. I can't run that fast, but I can get to this little town called Zoar. And so they said, that's fine. Just run as fast as you can to Zoar. Lot gets to Zoar, which is in the plains. And so Zoar is marked for destruction as well. But Lot makes it to Zoar. And you know what Lot does? Because Lot's not a righteous person. Lot is all about himself. And so Lot asked God to spare the little town of Zoar because his presence is there. Do you know what? what God does? Spares the little town of Zoar. Everybody say Zoar. Zoar. Zoar was saved because of even an unrighteous lot who was connected to Abraham. The second reason why I think that Abraham could have went further is because in Genesis 15, guess what God declares Abraham? He declares him as a righteous because Abraham believed God and it was a credit to him righteous. Third, God changed Abram's name in Genesis 17 to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude of nations. And then you get to Genesis 18 and the entire context is about a righteous presence. So Josh, what are you saying? How are you saying Abraham could have went further? Abraham could have went further if he would have said, God, on behalf of my righteousness, would you spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? Because he was the righteous one standing before a righteous God. He just didn't go that far. Why didn't Abraham go that far? Well, we don't know from the passage. We actually get a glimpse of maybe why Abraham didn't, and it's in Romans chapter 5. And here's what Paul writes. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. What's Paul saying? He's saying for a righteous person and a good person, we might give our life. But for an evil person, we wouldn't. 
So Abraham is not going to put his neck on the line for places and cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. It just might be that Abraham is more comfortable on the mountain praying for the sinful plains than he is in entering into the sinful plains to bring them to the mountain. You see, it's very easy to supplicate than it is to sacrifice. It's one thing to lift up a person. It's another to lay down for a person. It's one thing to throw the life preserver to someone who is drowning. It's a whole other thing to jump into the violent waters to save that person. It's one thing to pray for your teenager than it is to figure out a way to enter into their lives. It's one thing to pray for your boss. It's a whole other thing to figure out a way to serve him or her. It's one thing to pray for the lost. It's another thing to intentionally befriend the lost. It's one thing to pray for the broken. It's a whole other thing to enter into the brokenness of their life. You see, Abraham prayed from the mountain, and that's more than anyone would have done. He just didn't leave the mountain and go to the city. And so... We're left. Now Sodom and Gomorrah, no hope. No hope. Abraham's compassion had ran its course. And as a reader, we are left going, okay. Now Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed the next day. And Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed the next day. And so we now as readers, we have to wait thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years until another man, a God man, Jesus, the righteous one, leaves the mountaintop, leaves heaven. And now he prays on behalf of humanity. And not only does he pray but he injects himself into the fray of humanity, even death on the cross. And so now Jesus is the better Abraham who went where Abraham did not go. He went into the city saying, you know what? I will be the righteous one that will give my life on behalf of the wicked and sinful people of the entire world. And God will look at Jesus and because he sees the righteous one who has given his life for the unrighteous, God will spare those who look to Jesus Here's how the Apostle Paul says it. He says it this way. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were all still. Everybody say it. Sinners. You and I, we were the Sodomites. We were the inhabitants of Gomorrah. We were at enmity towards God but Jesus. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Let me just ask you this question. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that's fair? One man for the world. I know what some will think. Some will think, well, of course it's fair. I've read the Bible. I believe that verse. We were sinners. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. So yes, it is completely unfair that Jesus would give his life for all humanity. So, it, so it's not fair. 
But then some, maybe here listening online, or some of your friends, they'll say, well, possibly. I mean, it, you know, it might be fair. I mean, it's kind of unfair that Jesus would give his life for people like Jerry Epstein. But, but me? I mean, yeah, sure, it, it'd be pretty fair. I mean, I'm not all that bad. And so here's my response to people who would say, well, you know, I'm not all that bad, so it probably is a little fair. First, is if the world really isn't all that bad, then Jesus was just a pain-seeker junkie. Like, if the world really wasn't all that bad, so why, why did Jesus even have to die the gruesome death that he did? So he's either this, this pain-seeking junkie, or he didn't get the memo that all you really need, Jesus, is to give a little Oprah and a little Dr. Phil to humanity, and they'll be able to come out of their brokenness. Or, second, the world really is as bad Jesus makes it out to be. But the majority of the world is blinded by the comparison trap. Because what happens is, is that they will look at other people and they'll go, well, I'm not all that bad. I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. I'm sure not as bad as him. Did you know what she did last summer? I mean, you know, so it's like I'm not really all that bad. And so they get into this comparison trap. And as a result... They have a tendency to reduce their immorality, their wickedness, and their evilness down to a size that they can handle and that can accommodate them. So let me, let me end with this. Let's say, if you don't already, let's say you go home today and you get on Amazon. You get on the little app, Amazon. And because you have Amazon Prime, you're really excited because you're about to order an Amazon Echo. And you cannot wait to get this Amazon Echo because you're going to get to talk to Alexa now. And Alexa is going to be at your command. She's just doing it and you just cannot wait. So you go, you click on, on an Amazon Echo, you get it prime, it comes in the mail tomorrow. You rip open that box with, with that Echo and you pull it out of the box. And you set it all up, you get it in the kitchen, your bedroom, wherever you want it. And then you go, Alexa. Play Resurrection by Elevation Church on Amazon Music. And then Alexa responds, Billy Ray Cyrus, Old Town Road on Pandora. And you're like, that's not what I wanted. So Alexa, play Resurrecting by Elevation Worship on Amazon Music. And then, uh, then Alexa, bless her heart, she says... Uh, Take Me Home, Country Road by John Denver on Spotify. And you're like, no, Alexa, no, that's not what I want. And so this happens for days. And then it happens for weeks. And then it happens for months. Every time you tell Alexa to play this song on this station, she plays another song on another station. It won't be before long until you either send Alexa back or you get so frustrated with her that you destroy her. That's the story of humanity. That's the story of humanity. See, God created us to be his echoes, to be his image bearers, so that we can play the, song of, the songs of God on the station of God. And so when Adam and Eve fell, they broke the rhythm. They broke 
the mechanism by which we can respond to God playing his songs on his station so that when God says play this song on this station, we respond and play our own song on our own station. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, it's not that bad of a song. Listen, it wasn't the song that you were created to play. And as a result, Jesus had to come down. He had to take us. He had to rewire us. He had to redeem us, to purchase us. And now he sends us back to do what? To play the songs of God on the station of God, which is why he calls us to be the salt and the light of the world. So now, because of what Jesus has done, we now can be sent back into the cities playing the songs of God on the station of God to be a blessing of God and a blessing to the people. And as a result, we act as a preservative of a broken society and a light to a dark world. That is the story of Abraham because the future hope of humanity begins with a present heart of compassion. You have been saved. You have been redeemed to be sent out to be the hope of the world by showing compassion to the world. Why? That's what Jesus did. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For being the righteous one, the better Abraham that came off the mountain into a wicked and sinful world. Taking upon our sin, taking upon our wickedness so that we might be spared. So that we might be saved. So that we might be redeemed. Only to be sent back into the world imaging you. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the love. May we live in that love. May we exercise that love in our own life to those that you have placed around us, starting in our homes, moving to our offices, into our communities. Thank you that our future hope actually began with a present heart of your compassion. We worship you, Jesus.